Welcome to TTB Community. I am Elliot Shibley, and here with me, as always, is the vivacious Robert Domeno. Vivacious? What's that mean? Lively. Okay. Yeah. Full right. of life. Mm. Here you go. Okay. Straight from the Oxford Language Dictionary. Attractively lively and animated. Okay. Typically, typically used of a woman. I did not know that at the time. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? Uh, I still am going to take that as a compliment. I think that, so, is, I think that is a compliment. More well, of a compliment. <laughs> what was the word again? Vivacious. Vivacious. Or, so, so speaking of a vivacious woman, our next guest, you like that segue? There you go. <laughs> there go we ahead. go. So our next guest is Angel. She. This is her second podcast with us. She is from the south of France. She's currently living in Libsyn. And about three years ago, she left everything... Lisbon, Lisbon, Elliot gave me a look. I always get that wrong. But so about three years ago, she left everything behind. She booked a one-way ticket to Thailand with nothing else but her backpack and her camera. So with no plan, she just started walking around Southeast Asia, interviewing people, meeting people, and got the idea to find what she defines as change makers. These are people that are doing good in some way, shape, or form, whether they're helping children find a better education, providing goods to people who need those goods, providing food to people. Um, I mean, really, there's there's a list of all these different things that she's doing. The, the interesting thing about this specific conversation was that she's bringing us a story of her experience on a Southeast Asian island, Vanuatu. She was there when COVID hit. The world shut down. She ended up getting COVID-19 during her time there. She ended up meeting a doctor who had a plane, who was traveling all over the place, helping people who were sick. Like her, her story was incredible. Uh, this, she also spent time in Bali helping uh, a woman who was trying to feed people who prior Rice to COVID were relying upon yeah tourism. And when tourism stopped, these people struggled to find food. And, and so talk about the whole conversation. Yeah, you know what? yeah, you're right. You're right. Enjoy this podcast. Uh, and it is an incredible one. For reference, if you want to go back to the original conversation, it is episode 63, Bloom Stories in Search of Changemakers. Also a phenomenal conversation. Yeah. And, and so who's taking the travel tip here? You are. Okay. So the travel tip, very fitting for the type of guests that we have on today. It's smile. So smiling and being friendly can go a very long way and is the first step in meeting people on your experiences. So it's universal, right? Smiling, everybody knows you're happy. And from there, you meet people along your journey to have the potential to significantly enhance your experience. And it just never hurts to be friendly. Give it a try, and I think you'll be surprised of where it can take you. Absolutely. And before we get into the show, here's some cool stuff we got going on behind the scenes. So first is the Traveler's Blueprint Travel Journal and Planner. It's perfect for those of you that like to keep record of everything. It offers tables for budget tracking, mindful travel tips, and details on how you can create your own itinerary layout. This planner can be downloaded through our website immediately upon purchase for you to fill out by hand, or you can fill it out on the computer. And it makes it just super easy to keep track of everything you need to plan the perfect trip from confirmation numbers, general insight on the country you plan on traveling to, and then the back of it is just a bunch of pages for you to actually journal about your experience. So the best thing, you can print it over and over again, and it's on sale now for $7.99. That's it. You buy it once, and then you have it for every trip thereafter. 
Next up, we have the Traveler's Blueprint Video Tutorials, which is a five-part video class presented by an animated version of myself and Bob. The series is perfect to help you fill out the travel planner and journal with information and insight on how you can prepare for navigation, booking airfare, restaurant and blog research, itinerary layout, safety, local norms, and of course, being a thoughtful traveler. And that is available through our website for $25. It is a wonderful platform on Thinkific and you get to go through all the courses. Yeah, and so, and they, they pair up very nicely. So if you do get the journal, and then you pair that up with the video course, you'll essentially have everything you need to do this on your own. Plan your own trip, save a lot of money. Now, we take it a step further. And if you actually want to sit down with me one-on-one -on -one via Zoom and go over the details of your trip, and I'm talking every aspect of your trip from the dates you want to fly out, how to save money on airfare, how to navigate the city, how to find the best restaurants, everything you could think of. I'll sit down with you and, and be essentially be your travel consultant and help you plan this trip down to every minuscule detail, if that's your thing, of course. So keep that in mind and check out our website for pricing details on that. And as you all know, Bob and I are either Philly local or appreciate Philly from a distance. And we have our very own tour guide, Keschler, who will hook you up with an incredible Philadelphia experience. He offers a variety of tours where you can uncover the little-known history of the city or chat down on some food and cheesesteaks tours. Keschler is offering two tours exclusively through the Traveler's Blueprint, and you can find them on our website. However, if you do want something a bit different, feel free to email us and we can look at changing up the itinerary with you. If you find this podcast entertaining, please give us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you love us, or if you love at least one of us, we'd be forever grateful if you could subscribe to the show and share some of our social media posts as a story on Facebook or Instagram. Because remember, we post clips and images of these podcasts to our social media every week, and we encourage you to give us feedback and ask us any questions you may have for that conversation. Lastly, if you want to be on the show, you can join us and drop us a line for the Travel Around Table series. You can send us your name, website, and a few travel-related topics you'd enjoy discussing. Thank you for listening and enjoy this next podcast. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Angel, welcome back to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Thank you. It's nice to talk with you again. Thanks. It's incredible to talk to you again. The world has changed significantly since we last had you on uh, in October of 2020. Is that 2019. right? 2019. 2019. Yeah. The world is quite different and you have an incredible story. So we've kept in touch uh, since the, since your, your last time on the podcast. You've been, you spent a decent amount of your time in, uh, in, in Southeast Asia and we're going to get into that. Briefly, though, if for those listening that maybe didn't get to experience your first podcast episode, you are the founder of the Bloom, or is it the Bloom organization, or is it you just call it Bloom? Bloom. Yeah. Bloom. And and you essentially tell the story of people changing the world. You've named them change makers. It is one of the most beautiful platforms that we've we've discussed on this podcast because you really you go out of your way to bring light and help raise money for those that are essentially being selfless in, in some aspect of the world, whether it's providing food to people or education to people or basic needs like bicycles to people. And so uh, that's how I came across your platform. And that's essentially what our first conversation was on. 
So if you're listening to this now and and you want to go back to that, we highly recommend it. Um, episode 63. Episode 63. So, so today is going to be more focused on your experience traveling from December 2019 and through COVID. You were, you were in Southeast Asia through COVID. And I want to take a little excerpt from what you sent me uh, via Facebook and that once you said that, I was like, okay, we need to, we need to hear your story. <laughs> and you said, you, you said, I had the crazy, craziest experience in my life so far. Absolutely incredible. You met a flying doctor on a tiny re- remote island in the middle of the Pacific, and you essentially stayed there for four months. You ended up getting COVID during that time period in Southeast Asia. You were stuck in the jungle. You had uh, very little water, right? You, were, you had no electricity or water, so you were drinking rainwater. And you ended up going around to, to remote islands on his plane and helping patients. You, it seems like you had quite the experience. And, and I guess we'll just get into it. I'll, I want to let you take it from here. Um, I guess bring us back to December of, of 2019 when all this started to happen and you started to make the plans and you kind of hit the road. Yeah, so exactly. So as you said, uh, for the past few years, I've been traveling around the world to search for hidden heroes, uh, ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things to make the world a better place. Um, So I've been traveling all around Southeast Asia. Last year, I was also in Africa. And uh, my most recent experience was this trip uh, through Indonesia and then the Pacific. So what happened is that right after our last episode together, I left Europe um, again without much plan um, at all, (laughs) as always. So I just booked a one-way ticket to to where? To Bali, to Indonesia. And so I thought, you know what, let's go there and let's see what happens. So I left. uh, I left Portugal, went to Bali. Um, didn't know what to expect. Again, no plan, no contact, no idea how long I would stay there for. And um, yeah, it happened that I met a really incredible, inspiring people over there, starting with um, this woman called Angie, who is from Bali. She's a local lady. And she is, she is teaching English to kids in the street who can't afford to go to school and don't have any support from their families Um, and she's teaching English to them for free wherever she can so it can be under a tree or in front of a temple or on the border of the road or anywhere and she she decided to teach them English so that they could have a chance later on as they grew up to eventually get a job into the tourism industry so whether it can be in a hotel or restaurant or anything but just at least so that they can have a little background, you know, to get a job and get out of this poverty that they are grew up growing up with. And um, so she she started this project actually one year ago. Um, so at first she was teaching 10 children and then 20 and then 15 and then 100. And now she has 2,000 students. Whoa, what? Yeah, she, Wait, yeah, so she, where is she teaching 2,000 students? <clears throat> so is it all are, one time? <laughs> no. So, so she, she lives in, uh, in North Bali, uh, in a very little town called Lovina. And Lovina is this area where actually 
it's it's the poorest area of Bali. So basically, I, I don't know if you've been to Bali before, but most people when they travel to Bali, they stay on the south uh, coast. So in Seminyak, Changu, Kuta, Uluwatu, Ubud. But then when you start traveling up north, uh, you you get to these very remote areas where nobody is going, and people have a very a very simple life and people are struggling quite a lot. It's it's actually very interesting because when you, you go to Bali, you have all these parts with full of tourists and beautiful hotels and restaurants and people are surfing everywhere and stuff. And then just an hour away, people are starving and they can't even have, you know, a place to, like some people don't have a proper house. Kids don't go to school. Uh, women are working so many hours per day doing the tiniest jobs and they are paid nothing like one dollar per day and it's a very critical situation and so this woman Angi she decided that she wanted to do the best she could to help this new generation the, the young children in this area by teaching them English so she has these 2,000 students spread uh, spread it over 42 different locations Okay, so every day she takes her car or even sometimes a scooter or sometimes she has to go by foot because some areas are not accessible by road. So she goes to uh, the, you know, the forest to reach some really remote areas. And she's teaching English to them for free. And the only thing she's asking them in return, because of course these children or their parents cannot pay for uh, these classes. The only thing she's asking them uh, in return is to pick up plastic rubbish. So every day before the class, all these little children are going around uh, along the beach or along the river, in the forest, on the border of the road or anywhere they can, and they go and pick up plastic rubbish and they come to class and they come to her and they say, hi, Angie, I'm coming to the class and here are my plastic rubbish. And so she picks up all these bags from all these children and that's how they can access the class. And uh, so it's quite, it's quite uh, impressive because she's doing so much. Uh, uh, she's raising awareness about all these environmental issues that are actually very uh, bad in, uh, in Indonesia overall, but also in Bali, there is this huge issue around plastic. Um, and so she's doing everything she can so that they are aware of this problem and so that they can actually, you know, do something good. So with all this plastic rubbish, she has so many projects of, uh, you know, they, they recycle this plastic and they make furnitures and they, they build, they're so creative. They are making so many objects out of this trash, of this plastic trash. And, and these children are just learning English and they are loving it. They are loving it. It's incredible. I followed her for about a week. So with her, I would go every day from one village to another and uh, meeting all these children. And you have to imagine, I don't know about you in the US, but when I was a kid and I had to go to school, I was like, ah, oh, I don't want to go to class. I don't want to study. <laughs> yep. blah, blah, blah. These children, they are craving for knowledge. They are craving for a better future. They come to class, let's say, even though I'm saying class, but there is no proper structure. They come running. They are so happy. They jump in their arms. They are like, they are so curious and they want to know more. And they are super focused on every tiny word that she's saying, everything she has to teach them. They are absorbing everything. They, they, you can tell that really they, they want to get a, a chance, you know, to, to get out of, uh, of this poverty they are in. And, uh, 
And she's amazing. She's been doing this for a year only, and she has already 2,000 students, which is quite incredible. And she's, apart from this, she's helping also so many other children and um, like teenagers to access uh, universities. So she's sending children to Australia, for example, to get a better how? education. How? Well, she... That, that's, she that was my question. Like, how is she finding the funding herself to do this? Well, again, she doesn't have much, like most of the, the hidden heroes I'm meeting for the past few years, she doesn't, she really doesn't have much. So she, she asks friends around and she goes in the touristic area of Bali, which is in the south, and she talks about the stories of these people up there, up north, who need help. And she gets donations and, you know, people, people help the best way they can. And, and together she, she, she finds sponsors for these children so that they can go to university. She's, honestly, she's moving mountains for these children. She's incredible. And you know what? She also, this is a story she told me that I really like. Um, her husband divorced from her for some personal reason. And she had a, a wedding ring that she sold so that she could buy uh, sandals and books and bags for hundreds of, of kids. So she doesn't have much. And she sold her wedding ring for all these kids to help them and to, to do everything she can, you know, to, to help them get a better future. She's wow. so selfless. She's the most selfless person I know. She's incredible. I want to make sure that before we move on um, with this conversation, I know you help crowdfunding um, and you help support these people. If someone is listening to this and wants to help this person specifically, where would they go on your platform to to help you provide those that, that money to her? Well, actually, I'm right now doing a campaign for for these children and their families because why, when I met her, it was right before COVID, right? So I had, we all had no idea that COVID was going to happen. And, you know, and life was already pretty tough for these children and their families. And then after I met her, I went on with my travels and everything. And then just a few months after COVID happened. And of course, I stayed in touch with her. And I, I asked her, you know, like, how is the situation right now for you and the children? You know, how, how is everything? And she actually explained to me that it was, it was a nightmare for these children and their families, but also entire villages in this area that actually couldn't afford to buy food anymore. Because, you know, um, these families, uh, most of the time, they have maybe one relative who works south in a hotel or a restaurant and brings money for the family, you know, to help everybody to survive, you know, even though it's very little, very, very little. But some, some way they, 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 they manage to find just enough to survive. But now with COVID, the whole economy collapsed, everything crashed all the tourists went away there was uh, all the business were down and and it was it was very it was it still is very bad over there and so when she told me that these people and these children uh, couldn't even buy food uh, that's when i decided to make a crowdfunding campaign for her so i started this rice campaign because that's the, that's the base of their food. They eat rice uh, and then they, you know, with vegetables or something. But rice is what allows them to have a meal that feels 
you know, the, their stomach and, and keep them strong until the next meal. So I started this crowdfunding campaign together with her to um, buy rice for these families. And so far we have, um, we have given more than seven tons of rice. Wow. Um, <laughs> so seven tons of rice has been distributed thanks to 150 uh, people who have donated to my crowdfunding campaign wow. and hopefully we can get more because even though you know covid has hit over a year ago uh, the situation is still really really bad over there so they still need help so anyone who wants to to support Angie and support these children, support their families and people around. If they want to give a little bit of rice, uh, I think it would be very welcome. And what it's, is it specifically? It is it. What, what, what's your website? And can people just go to your website and do it right there? Uh, it's a it's a GoFundMe page. Okay. So I can uh, share the link with you uh, later. Yes. But it's uh, it's a crowdfunding. It's a GoFundMe page. Okay. So actually, a bag of 10 kilos of rice is $6, which is not much compared to what we pay for in uh, Europe or in the States. Yeah, and it can make a, a really a big difference. A bag of 10 kilos of rice uh, is enough for a family of four for one week. So, so $6 can help an entire family of four eat for one week. Yes, exactly. Wow. And I have to say, I've been pretty amazed with this campaign because when I started it, I, I, was a bit, I was a bit scared that people wouldn't be in a position where they, they can afford to help because, of course, COVID has hit the whole world and many people have lost their jobs and the situation is very hard and complicated for everybody. But I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do this campaign and see what happens. And I've been so overwhelmed so overwhelmed by the response i so many people have donated it it has been the, the biggest campaign so far uh when i started i thought you know what if i can get maybe 200 300 kilos it would be a success this was achieved in like five hours so then i was like wow. okay well, well maybe maybe i will ask for one ton of rice and then i will be happy if i can do that and then one ton was done in two days and then i kept going and going and going and now we are at seven tons of rice which is for your information it's about one hundred thousand meals that's so, amazing wow that, that's incredible so that was uh, that that is a success and of course anyone who wants to help is welcome to go to this crowdfunding campaign and and help these people in need because uh, yeah it's they really need it badly right now. So um, That's a, yeah. yeah. I found it pretty quickly on just searching for GoFundMe rice in Bali and it popped yeah. up it was like the third item down. Yes, well, uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, actually, you know, I've, I've, I was very surprised with this campaign because as I was telling you, when I started, I really thought it would be very small. So at first people were uh, giving money to me directly and I would send it to the rice factory in Bali because of course we buy the rice from a local rice yeah. factory, which is uh, very good because we keep this factory alive and people are working and, you know, at least it's helping some people to maintain their job. And uh, so at first, you know, because I thought it would be such a, I would, I didn't expect people to be so generous, I would say. So the whole part, the whole first part of the crowdfunding campaign was a bit like, 
a bit like people were donating to me and I was give, sending money to the rice factory and stuff. And then everything started to be so big. I was like, okay, I have to do a proper crowdfunding campaign for that. So actually this campaign that you're seeing now is just the last bit of it. Okay. And, um, but that's the best way right now to, that's the best way to help Angi and her students and their families. Okay. And just to clarify, it's on your on GoFundMe. The title is Rice for Balinese Affected by COVID-19. Exactly. Right. That's okay. Yep. It's very easy to Google. Uh, if you do, like Elliot said, if you Google GoFundMe Rice in Bali, it was the first link for me. Yeah. You click that and, and there's a picture of a young girl holding a bag of rice and then a picture of a man. And I'm assuming, is that the woman? Um, is that, and I don't want to mess her name Angi. up. Angi. With with a bag of rice, is that her? Yeah, that's her. Wow. So wow. So we, I really loved this uh, this campaign um, because you know the 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 best thing about it is that as soon as I receive any kind of donation on this campaign, the same day I send the money to the rice factory. She picks up the rice, and the next day the rice is given to their to these families. Wow, that's so, pretty direct. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Well, that's the that's the whole point, you know. These people, they can't wait, you know. So it has yeah. to be quick. It has to be direct. So, so every day, I would say we spent so many days and nights with Angie on the phone. Like, oh, I received this donation. Can you go to the rice factory? Yes. Okay, I'm going in half an hour. Okay, cool. Where are you going this afternoon? I'm planning to go to this village and this village. Okay, can you take some pictures? Yes, of course. And the same night, she would send me pictures and videos and, and telling me, oh, I met this family and I met these people and these people. And every day, the, the impact was so direct. People would donate and the next day, in Bali, people were eating the rice that could be uh, bought thanks to them, you know? Yeah. I love how tangible this is for the people donating too, because sometimes when you donate to charities, you're not sure where the money actually goes. With this, it's it's fairly straightforward. You donate, it's less than a day. I, you guys post pictures on the GoFundMe with the receipts of the rice, with the with the distribution to the villages. It's really easy to follow and see how it's being distributed. Yes, and of course, I, I I care a lot about transparency. So every time she goes pick up rice at the rice factory, uh, she sends me a pictures of the receipt to show me that you know the exact amount was paid for the rice and everything. And um, and yes, and it's uh, it's it has been a, a really uh, beautiful beautiful combine. I think it's my it, it's the one I care the most about. I would say <laughs> because it has been changing a lot of. Uh, of, uh, of things for these people who really need help right now. Yeah, your enthusiasm is contagious. And I really like the that Angie's story of, you know, teaching the kids also is we had a conversation recently about the Rwandan Sundays where everyone goes out and every single person in the country goes out and picks up trash on Sundays, including the president. And I think with kids, that is very impactful to learn about the environment and to have their their future in their own hands by learning English and potentially getting better jobs. Because not only will they be able to care about the environment in the future and do more for the environment in the future, but they'll also be able to have that impact because they're educated. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. She, she's a She's a true inspiring hero she's amazing she's to me she's an angel fallen from the sky really 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> speaking on inspiring, speaking about uh, or of inspiring and, and staying, you know, on pace with your story, you moved on to just find additional inspiring people. Can you bring us to the next part of your trip? Where did you go from here? Um, and who did you meet? So after Angie, after spending time with Angie, I met another man called Gede, um, south of Bali, so same island, just a few, maybe two hours away. I met this man who, uh, he's so incredible also, he is also a local, and um, since he's 11 years old, he has been dedicating his life to save sea turtles. Oh, so, all right. Yeah, so he he basically turned his home into a turtle farm, and he goes around uh, at the beach every day. And because you know, um, sea turtles in Bali, like in many places in the world, are endangered, uh, especially because of uh, fishermen who catch uh, who fish turtles by accident in their nets, but also because of of people who pick up the eggs in the on the beach. And they eat them, or they sell them, or you know, oh. and and so these turtles cannot survive. Like, uh, they, uh, so there is a, a big issue around this um, in Bali, or even Indonesia, or even other countries of the world. People make soup with baby turtles, and you know, so this has been a big problem, uh, especially for this, these sea turtles that are already quite in, endangered. So this man, he decided to turn his home into a turtle farm. And so he goes around on the beach and he, as soon as turtles come to the beach to lay their eggs, he picks them up and he brings them to his farm to protect them. He, uh, how do you say, he um, put them under the sand, like he has big yeah. sand boxes. So he put the eggs in, under in the sand like this and to keep them protected <laughs> and everything. <laughs> and then he, he, so after 55 days, the turtles hatched. So they, they, they come to the surface and, and they are like going around like crazy. They are super tiny turtles. And uh, then from that point, he keeps the turtles with them for three months. Because I don't know if you're aware of that, but into the wild, a, a baby turtle, from the moment it, it's born, only one turtle out of 1,000 will survive to the um, adult age. Wow. Yeah. One wow. turtle out of 1,000. Because they are so tiny, their shell is like very soft, so they, uh, they have a very soft shell, so they can't be protected by, uh, from, yeah. you know, uh, cats and dogs and birds. You know, they're very vulnerable. Yeah, I think Planet Earth did a did a little episode on sea turtles and showed the the treacherous journey from where they were hatched in the sand all the way to getting into the water. Only a few of those made it, and then once they got into the water, they had to deal with the predators in the sea. Well, that's yeah. So that was a that was the Planet Earth two, and it was the very last episode on urban areas and how and how cities essentially it was animals that thrive due to urban areas, and then animals that suffer to urban areas mm -hmm. and the point with the sea turtles was yeah in, in addition to the natural predators and weather and everything else they have to deal with they're now being uh redirected due to uh lights due to synthetic sun um, synthetic sunlight due to due to lights city yeah. lights urban and lights sounds. they're attracted to that because they use the, the light of the moon to direct them into the ocean water and so now they're being redirected towards the urban area instead of towards the ocean 
They're battling across streets. They're getting yeah. stuck in plastic bottles. They're being That's crushed by cars. And so the population is seriously under significant threat. Um, it's certain really certain cities are actually, at least in the United States, are taking uh, additional measures to try to prevent that. Like places like Hilton Head in South Carolina have dark sky compliance. Mm-hmm. And they basically do not have any streetlights. Any any new development has to meet certain like light lighting guidelines that prevent light pollution from reaching the beaches. It's pretty incredible what they've done just to preserve the natural turtle population. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very much needed because uh, the, we, we, we need to do our best to protect these turtles because otherwise it's going to be, they are, they are just going to disappear. And as you say, Bob, uh, there is a big problem around plastic also in Bali. And so these turtles, they just swallow plastic and they, they, they die. It's, it's like they have so many threats uh, to, to get to the adult age. So this man, Gede, he keeps them. So he keeps them for three months. He feeds them. He protects them. He makes sure that they, they grow up healthy and strong. And then after three months, when they are a bit bigger and their shell is good and they can move around and they are, um, they are uh, ready to go back to the ocean, that's when he releases them back into the sea. And since he, has been sta- since he started this uh, project, he has released more than 100,000 turtles back oh my into God. the sea. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. One That's, man alone. Yeah, I would be really curious to see what the survival rate is once they get to three months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's, it, it's much better because they are more, um, how can I say, they are more, uh, they, 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 are, they are just, uh, they can fight better. You know yeah, they're just say? better suited for, to yeah. deal with that. Yeah. But even even if it's 50% now, which is a significant increase from, you know, 0.01%. Right. I mean, that's saving 49,000 turtles. Do you know if there's any sort of marine biology or or marine conservation agency that knows of this guy and what he's doing and maybe can help him or guide him or maybe study his his success rate? Um, Honestly, I don't think I've seen any... uh, um, preserved area for turtles or anything like this. Uh, it, it's such a big issue in uh, in Indonesia and and I mean not only in Indonesia. There are many other countries also yeah. where th- this mm-hmm. is a problem. Uh, but no, this guy is he he's a kind of uh, doing this on his own and he doesn't have much support. And actually, spending time with me uh, with him, sorry, uh, he. He actually told me that many times he almost gave up because it's too hard. He doesn't get support. Uh, taking care of these turtles for so long, it, 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 it's quite expensive because he has to feed thousands of turtles every day with fish. And, yeah. you know, it's a lot of money and he doesn't make much money. And it's, it's very hard. And he told me so many times I almost gave up. I almost closed everything. But I keep doing it. I keep doing this for the turtles. I do this for my island. I do this for the planet. And he's, he's really amazing. I haven't done a crowdfunding campaign for him yet, but it's coming because uh, I, I really want to help him preserve and protect more turtles and keep his project alive. Where did you, know? you say he was located? He's in the, in the south of Bali, next to Changu. Uh, he, I mean, he's not really much in a village. It's, it's quite a remote area. Um, okay. But yeah, I will do a campaign for him also because he really deserves uh, to be helped. And uh, 
and seeing what he's doing. It's, it's again, it's impossible to just meet him and then leave. You you feel like you want to do something and do your best to uh, to help him. Right. So that's what I. That's the the other hidden hero I met after meeting Angie, mm. and. And then after meeting Gede, I was off to the Solomon Islands. So I went to the Solomon Islands, which was quite a, a, a very short but intense adventure because I was supposed <laughs> to stay there for a month. Uh, I thought I didn't know anything again about the Solomon Islands. I had no idea. I just thought, you know what? There is a cheap flight. I'm going. So I, I went to the plane. I didn't even know where I was going to sleep the same night. I didn't know even the name of the capital city. I was just, you know what? That, gives, that gives Bob anxiety. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I love it, but it's a bit, uh, it can be a bit tricky, which is what happened that time because I, it was a pretty interesting experience. I was supposed to stay for one month and I stayed 24 hours because on my way there, <laughs> on my way there, in the plane i actually the plane was completely empty okay and i thought this is weird at first of course as everybody when i got in the plane i, th I thought i saw it was empty i thought great i'm gonna have tons of space and i yeah. just <laughs> yeah. down you know i have all the room for myself and then after a while i thought this is strange why this why is there nobody on this plane you know and i, I just i just started to think Hmm. I wonder if something, if you know, because I haven't done any research. Yeah, does someone, did it, does people know something I don't? <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. So, exactly, so that's what I did. I, I stood up in the plane and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to start talking with people around. We were maybe eight people in the plane. Okay. Wow. Wow. When so was I, this flight? Uh, it was uh, in January 2020. Okay. So it was okay. before COVID. It has yeah. nothing to do with COVID. Right. So I thought, oh, what's wrong? You know, so I go down the alley on, in the plane until I, I find someone. And there I meet uh, a man called John from Hawaii. And I talk to him. I'm like, hi. So it seems that you're also going to the Solomon Islands. I was just wondering, like, what are you doing there? Where are you staying? What, what, how is it like? Can you tell me a bit about this? And the guy looks at me and he's like, are you seriously going to the Solomon Island alone right now? Uh, wow. Yes. <laughs> he's like, no, but I mean, you have friends or family over there, right? Waiting for you? No. He's like, but wait, but where are you going to stay? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you know? And, and he's like, but and you don't know where you're going? What's your plan? You know, I don't know. We'll see what, I don't know. And he, he looks at me, he's like, and I can see on his face that he starts to be very worried. And especially when I tell him that I have, uh, you know, a big camera and like all this equipment, you know, camera gear. He's like, no, 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 you can't do that. And then I'm thinking, what's going on here? What did I miss? And he basically, uh, he pulls out a paper out of this pocket and he, he writes down like this on the paper and he, he gives me the paper and he says, if you have any problem, just call me and I'll come to you. So I'm like, what's going on here? And then he starts telling me, explaining me that it's a very dangerous place, that people Why? get kidnapped there, that it's, it's a very, there is a very high rate of crime, 
he tells me never go out with your camera just keep your camera in your hotel never don't don't take your camera uh, at 6 p.m maximum you have to be back home don't go in the street in the dark blah 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 and and then he tells me all these stories and i'm thinking okay i think maybe i took the wrong flight and um and and it happened that this guy is a he's a special agent and he was going to to the solomon island for a mission and a kind of secret mission i don't know much about it but he john he, from hawaii yeah, secret john agent. From, yes yeah. exactly and then there is this other guy coming to us in the plane and he's like oh what's up what's going on here and his name his name was brendan and it was his colleague and and the both of them are like super tall guys with very uh you know like very tall and you talk strong about Navy and yeah right <laughs> from hawaii i think we have a pretty big baby base there yeah but well i don't know but i i was like what's going on and he they tell me that even them they never travel alone they always are together for safety reasons and wow. me i'm like uh, <laughs> like going with my camera searching for change makers and i don't have plans i don't know where i'm going to sleep tonight you know and, uh, and then basically they tell me, no, no, but you have to go away because, uh, you know, people here, everybody walks around with machetes. There are so many fights. People just kill each other for no reason. I didn't uh, know the Solomon Islands. I thought that was a vacation destination. I well, had no it, idea. It's a vacation uh, destination for uh, if you go on a private island. Okay. If you, go, if you land uh, with your with your plane and you go to those private islands and then you can go diving, it's a beautiful place for diving. But uh, backpacking, no way, you can't yeah. do that. So it's, where did you where did you fly into? To uh, Onyara. Okay. Onyara, which is the capital city, which is super scary. And actually, when the plane landed, uh, there was a typhoon. So there was these crazy winds and rain and, and like we couldn't see anything. The sky was completely dark. And, and, then, and then these two guys, John and Brendan, they tell me, okay, you know what? We're going to take you to the center because taxi, taxi drivers here are too dangerous. We don't want anything to happen to you. So we're just going to you, bring you with us. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then... <laughs> And then in the end, I, I, they, they offered me a place to stay because they were too scared for me to leave me alone. Because, <laughs> but you should have seen, it's like a crazy, crazy place. Um, and then eventually uh, the next day uh, I, I told them, okay, I, I think I can't stay here because it's, it's, uh, it's too much, it's too risky. I don't want to risk anything with my camera or anything. So the next day they brought me back to the airport and there was only two flights that day leaving the airport, one for Australia, one for Fiji. At that point, I didn't really want to go to Australia. I was like, no, not Australia. So I Not dangerous enough. <laughs> so <laughs> Too then easy I for you. <laughs> so then I went to Fiji and actually John, uh, one of the special agents, uh, he, he gave me his, he gave me this. I don't know if you can see it's, yeah. um, it's a medal. It's like the special agent, um, Wow. Enforcement officer. So that's like a, you see? Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. really nice. Yeah. So he gave me this and he said, this is to protect you. If you have any kind of problem, just, just pull this out. Whoa. 
So uh, the rest of my trip. That's I like, that's like a spy this. movie. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> who is this John guy? <laughs> yeah. So actually, I don't even know if it's his real name or not. You know? or, probably not. Um, <laughs> are you still in contact with him? Or have you, is that it? Is that the end of the line? Or can no, you even no, no. tell us? Are you sworn to secrecy? <laughs> no, no, no. We 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 are we kept in touch because after that he was he was always making sure that I was fine and stuff. Yeah. And, and, Guardian and, but angel. Both of, yeah, exactly. But both of them, John and Brendan. So it was actually amazing. And and then here I was the next day off to Fiji. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so, so. Very quickly, I this is very interesting. I mean, it, it seems like there have been significant issues with ethnic violence in the Solomon Islands and. They both Australia and New Zealand together have have undergone, I guess, security and some sort of campaign measures to help the people there. There's there's a lot to read on it, and I probably will just to understand it a little bit better. But I had no idea. So yeah, there's well, the- I I didn't expect the atmosphere, let's say, to be like that. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but I yeah. After after John and Brendan told me about 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 it, I thought, you know what? I think it's not worth the risk. I'm just gonna move on. And here I was on the flight to Fiji. Yeah, so, well, that's incredible that you got lucky with them sort of redirecting you. Uh, I'm glad that you found them and didn't step off the plane in the Solomon Islands and start snapping pictures with your several thousand dollar. And we might not be talking yeah. to you, right? Yeah. So that's yeah. That's, yeah. But. So here I was going to Fiji again, no plan. So then I arrived, I land at the airport <laughs> in Fiji. And, you know, when I land, the, the officer, you know, at the border, he tells me, oh, how long are you going to stay here? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, no, but you cannot, you cannot enter the, the, the territory uh, without telling me when you are leaving and to where. Mm-hmm. So he said, you have to buy a flight now. So I'm like, okay. So here I was in front of that guy who was like, you know, trying to intimidate me. And um, and uh, I was on Skyscanner and just browsing, like, where can I go next, you know? And then I found a flight, a quite cheap flight for a month after to Vanuatu. So then I thought, okay, I'm just going to book that flight. <laughs> just island hopping. Yeah. Yes. And then, so then here I was, so I booked this flight and then I showed him the, the ticket and I said, can I go now? He's like, yeah, cool, uh, sure, welcome to Fiji. So here I was in Fiji, traveling around, searching for change makers again. So I went again from island to island again, no plan. I didn't know anything. I was just, um, you know, following my uh, intuition. And Angel, met, how do you yeah. fund all this? So, um, so before I left, I had uh, worked here in Portugal and I saved money and I just, uh, I knew that I was going to spend this money on this trip and that I would come back completely ruined with an empty bank account. So I knew about it in advance. Okay. And, and I think destinations are pretty expensive. Yeah. I think we so had talked about that in the previous episode as well, that you, you yeah. tend to work, work prior and then save it all up and then go, mm-hmm. which is very, very noble. Exactly. Knowing yes. that you'd come back pretty much empty handed in terms of finances, but full of stories yes yes, yes exactly absolutely. so all right it was uh, it was um it was very interesting very yeah nice. well yeah. okay so, so you're, you're... Fiji, I... yes no go ahead yeah start with fiji i was i was telling you in fiji i met uh, another very amazing woman called roberta and with her husband for the past 15 years they have been 
replanting um, an entire reef of corals on a small island uh, in the north of Fiji. And together with her husband, every day they go and dive and they plant corals in an area that has been destroyed by the many typhoons and, you know, like um, mm. that have been destroying reefs. And so they, uh, they are just replanting one by one uh, wow. those corals. And now there are more than one million corals on this reef. Wow. wow. Oh, my God. Yeah, so that that was quite incredible. And after spending um, a month in Fiji, uh, spending time with her and her husband, and traveling around Fiji, that's where I, when I headed to Vanuatu because now I had a, a ticket to Vanuatu, so I had to go now. <laughs> can you and, can you and, locate Vanuatu between like where it is in relation to South or Oceania between Australia and all that? So Vanuatu is um, just, uh, so it's right near Australia. Uh, it's above New Caledonia, if you see where it is. Mm -hmm. So okay. it's uh, a bit north of Australia, mm. south of Solomon Islands. Um, it's, a, it's an archipelago of 80 islands. And okay. uh, I have to say, actually, that before going there, I didn't know about this country. I, I, I don't know anyone who has been to Vanuatu before. So I had no clue or, or where, where I was going, what I was doing. Uh, I just thought, you know, OK, cool, a remote area. So I'm going there and let's see what happens. And um, yeah, the Vanuatu was a pretty uh, intense uh, experience, I would say. So I arrived in Vanuatu and I quickly went from one island to another and just traveling around and asking people around about local change makers. And pff, I ended up in crazy situations. Like I went, I I found my, I, I got on an island with a community of cannibals. <laughs> you you were on an island with a community of cannibals yes but they haven't eaten anyone for a while so i, oh, I was good. what is yeah. what is a while yeah, well, yeah put that in like a context. year or 10 years yeah <laughs> uh, it's it's more like uh well i don't have the date i didn't ask them but i think it's, it's been maybe 10 20 years that they okay. haven't eaten anyone. okay but I mean, so that's... they <laughs> They showed me their jungle kitchen. They call it like this. So it's like a jungle kitchen. That's where they bring people and cook people um, uh, in the jungle. Why, they, and they still have the kitchen, uh, just in case they want to revisit the the cannibal, the old traditions. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's that's what they showed me. So I went so, there in the jungle with them, and you can see bones on the floor, and it's it's pretty intense. So when you found out, when like the second you found out, what went through your mind? Uh, I told myself, well, you better get along with these people, you know, <laughs> because, because make yourself valuable beyond food. Yeah. Yes. Because, you know, as, a, as you were saying before in Vanuatu, they, there is, uh, there is no running water. So you drink, you drink rainwater. There is most of the places you don't have electricity. There are no ports. There are no shops. There are no, I mean, in the capital city, there are. So you, in the capital city, you have like a bank and you have a post office and, you know, a police uh, station and stuff like that. But as soon as you go away on other islands, it's pretty remote and you find yourself into basically jungle and tribes and volca active volcanoes and 
cannibals and you know it's very 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 remote so if I'm, anything would have happened to me at that moment i don't think anyone would have known about it. I'm, I'm starting to envision that that island from kong mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah the king kong island yeah skull island uh, yeah angel which island had the cannibals just so i can write it down and avoid it it's called <laughs> malekula Oh, all right. That's the one just south of Vanuatu, the main island. Yeah. So, but mm. you know, uh, cannibals are everywhere. It's not only this island. Oh, good. So I just. Won't I don't go. know if I'd say <laughs> everywhere. I don't know everywhere in Vanuatu. You mean in Vanuatu? I would yeah. say yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, it hasn't been. Uh, yeah, then we haven't heard about anyone being eaten for a while. So I think it's uh, nobody right. yeah. has to be scared about it. I think no, it's fine. No. All right. Thank you for that and, clarification. Yes, you can go. You can go to Vanuatu. Nothing will happen. Thank to you me. for easing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know, I was going around Vanuatu, and um, I I went to on the top of a crazy active volcano on the island of Tana, who is called. It's a volcano called Mont Yasur, on Tana Island, and uh, this volcano. I was on the top of the volcano at the crater, looking at the magma, and then it started erupting while I was there. So. We had to go away running and looking at the sky, making sure the lava was not coming falling on us. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty intense. And then I went I went to another island also called Ambrim, which has very beautiful uh, active volcanoes also. And I went on a trekking and sleeping. I slept on the how do you call that? The, like the cold lava. Yeah, the rock. Oh, yeah. Um, Just the the, the... The you know flowing when, rock, the dried rock. Yes, yes, yes. So I was like camping on the on this uh, on those rocks, just just next to the craters of the volcano. And at night, we had to go hunting for bats for dinner, which sounds crazy nowadays when you think about the whole COVID situation. But yeah, yeah like you, like <laughs> people would like go around and catch bats for dinner. It was very intense. And, what do bats uh, taste like? Are they, I. Well, I have to say, I'm vegetarian, so I didn't oh, okay. Yes. Okay. I was having coconuts and uh, mangoes and stuff like this, but, but yeah, well, it, was, it was pretty intense. Yeah, Very well, unique. I mean, speaking of bats, you were kind of there in, the, in March of 2020, and suddenly yes. the world changed forever. Um, yes. What was that experience like, finding out the world was shutting down? And we were entering an age of a global pandemic while you were in some remote southeastern Asian island with essentially by yourself. Uh, what, what was going on with you? Well, actually, uh, I got sick. I, I, I got COVID while I was there. And at that point, at that moment, we were talking about COVID um, mainly about with China and a bit of Italy and Iran, but we didn't really know that the virus was already spreading all around the world. We were not really aware of that. And I started to be very sick without knowing really what was happening to me, which um, made me stranded in Vanuatu because now I was sick and I couldn't leave because they wouldn't accept me on any flight. Because I had uh, fever and I was completely, uh, I was super weak. I couldn't walk. I, I couldn't breathe properly. So I got stuck on, in Vanuatu. 
And this happened at the, at the same time than uh, my encounter with a flying doctor uh, on another island of Vanuatu called Gawa. And um, I, I met this flying doctor and I thought, oh, it's, uh, it's, it's a man who is flying around the islands with this very tiny plane, healing people for free to, to, to help people in need who don't have access to any uh, you know, a hospital or any kind of health uh, structure. And so I thought, oh, I'm, this could be an interesting story. And that's when I started to be sick and when all the borders closed down. And here I was stranded on Gawa Island in Vanuatu with a flying doctor and his family. Wow. And, and so when you say healing everybody, what? What, what did you actually do? Like, what was a day in the life of, of traveling with this doctor? Uh, well, the day in the life. So he, he has like a, a hangar for his plane at the end of an airstrip on this island of Gawa. And so you have like the spot to park the plane. And on top of the plane, you have like their home. So this doctor and his family live above the plane. And that's where I was uh, staying with them. Um, and he, when COVID happened and because I, I, I was sick, he, he told me, you know what, you're, you're welcome to stay with us as long as you want until you can find a solution to, to leave the country again. And so I thought I was going to stay for three days and I stayed for three months. <laughs> wow. Waiting for a flight to go back home. Uh, or, I mean, go back home or go anywhere. I didn't know at that point. Uh, but yeah. Because, of course, you didn't really know much about what was going to happen next and if maybe borders were going to open again and stuff. And, of course, I didn't know at that point that COVID was going to have such a big impact on the entire world for so long. I, I still had the hope that I could keep traveling around the Pacific, but then it was impossible. So the daily... Uh, daily um, experience with him would be to just uh, going with him on this plane every day, traveling from island to other to island to, to help people in need. So it could be, for example, uh, helping women giving birth with a complicated uh, baby delivery. It could be surgery. It could be uh, anything. Um, uh, th there is a lot of domestic violence in Vanuatu, so a lot of patients were women who had who were hit by their husband. Oh, wow. So we had oh, a lot wow. of uh, cases like this. Um, um, a lot of uh, little kids, children who were sick because of uh, uh, they didn't have enough food or enough water or something like this. So every day we would uh, jump in the plane and travel around and. Uh, he eventually taught me how to fly his plane, uh, which was pretty uh, incredible for me because I never flew a plane before. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually a bit, uh, I can be a bit scared when there are turbulences and stuff. Like I'm not, uh, yeah. I, I'm not very much at ease, uh, let's say, when I'm in the sky, although I love it. Mm -hmm. But then he actually taught me how to fly his plane, which is a very, very tiny plane, just two seats and, and some space in the back where the patients would be. And so we were just traveling around and I was playing the plane. He would do the landings and takeoffs okay. because uh, there are no, 
Yeah, because there are no proper airports, there are no airstrips, there is nothing. So you have to land in between the coconut trees or in the sand or, that is you know. Crazy. <laughs> and it's not, um, it, it's an actual, it's not a float plane. So he's not landing in water. No, but we have like special wheels. It's like bush wheels, very okay. strong that resist to rocks and stuff like that. Um, and so we would land in crazy places to. Well, the one video you sent us is with the, it looks like you landed in the middle of a jungle, basically, with all the kids. Yes. Yeah. So exactly. So that, that video I sent you, that's where we landed. So we landed, if you look at it, we are like surrounded by grass and plants yeah. and trees. And we land here, you know. And, and they are very, very short landings. So we, we, it's like very specific, very hard to do. And it's very, uh, it's interesting because as soon as the population hear the plane, because it's the only plane in the area. So as yeah. soon as they hear the plane, they're like, oh, the flying doctor, the flying doctor is coming. So everybody comes to the airstrip, if you can call this an airstrip. Yeah, right. And uh, and then all the kids are coming to the plane, as you see on this video that I sent oh, you. Insane. And uh, everybody's so happy. And so he's coming and, and people who are sick come to the plane and, and come for a checkup or for medicines or, or we go to people's home when they are too sick to move. We, we go to their home and do, uh, yeah, like baby deliveries or things like this, you know. And so and every day we would go to, you know, two, three, four islands. Because he's the only doctor for 15 islands. So 9,000 people who live on 15 islands depend on this one man. Well, how would he know where to go and who was sick? How would he know uh, so, which islands to direct his attention to? So people, people call him. So everybody on, the, on these islands have this phone number. So the whole mm. day, the, the phone keeps ringing to ask him, oh, can you come to this island? Can you come to this island? And sometimes people have to make an airstrip for him to land. So wow. pe people would be like, oh, I'm in Motalava Island. Can you come? And they're like, yeah, but where are you? And then when they, they say their position, he says like, okay, take your machetes and cut everything. You make a straight line on, from uh, 10 meters wide to 70 meters long. And when you're ready, call That's me back. That's all he needs? Come. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, I, when you land, you also have to obviously think about taking off again yeah it's very quick we had like very quick take up take ups and, and very very short <laughs> that, that's terrifying so he's the so he flies as well and so he's a, a flying doctor literally yeah and what happens if the plane breaks down uh well uh we we i touch wood because uh, it, it would be a big problem Actually, uh, one time, actually, while I was there, but I was not in the plane at that specific moment, but while I was there, uh, he took off to take care of someone on, on, on an island nearby. And while he was flying, the engine stopped. The stopped. engine stopped while he was flying? While he was flying, just everything shut down. And so the whole plane started to go down. Mm, mm-hmm. And uh, he had to find a solution and he just like moved the wires and stuff and, and find a way and restarted the engine and he could uh, <laughs> go again. What? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, and it's not like there's, I mean, Vanuatu is, is all islands. So yeah, there's places to land, but it's mostly water. Exactly. Which is not, uh, not an option for this plane. So this happened also another time. He landed on an airstrip that, that, 
had uh, there was a coconut tree that was starting to grow in the middle and he didn't see it it was a tiny coconut tree okay it was a baby coconut tree and he landed and he saw the the tree too 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 late and the, the tree just uh uh, hit the wing of the plane and the whole plane crashed in the trees but he was already uh, almost touching the ground so mm -hmm. he he crashed in the trees but it, it was fine like he had to change the tires he had to fix the wing but uh, he was fine everybody was fine but cool. the, so he's able to do that i guess to some degree yeah but even then like changing a tire yeah. you have to have a spare tire around otherwise yes. you're gonna have to order one it's gonna take a few weeks uh, not only a few weeks because everything is coming from Australia. When you in Vanuatu, you depend on Australia for everything, for food, for uh, fuel. You everything comes from Australia. So if you have a problem with your with your plane, uh, you have to uh, order pieces from Australia that have to come by boat, and it's taking forever. And uh, and then the boat goes from Australia to Port Vila, the capital of Vanuatu, and then from Port Vila to Santo, and then to Santo from Santo to Gawa. And it's like this whole journey and you can wait for a while. You can wow. Wait. <laughs> wow. And if yeah. you're, if you're listening to this and want to follow us on uh, Google maps, you can type in Gawa airport and the, you can actually see the little hangar where you stayed. For right? three months. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's, yeah, it's like the biggest building there. It's the only one because around it, like you have to imagine, okay, this island, like all the other ones, is just jungle, reefs around, like the, the water. You have mainly, on most islands, you have a volcano in the middle and tribes. Yeah. No electricity, wow. no running water, no shop, n absolutely nothing. So I spent three months drinking rainwater and eating roots and coconuts and jungles and uh, fruits that you can find in the jungle. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty wild. <laughs> so how long <laughs> has that sick. doctor been there? Sorry. Uh, he has been there for the past, I think, 15 years, 20, 15, 20 years. And you said he was there with his family? Yes, he's there with his uh, wife, who is uh, Australian. Okay. And their kids. Uh, they adopted kids from from the clinic that he has. Uh, okay. He adopted a baby that has been abandoned by his mom. So they adopted the baby. Okay. He is now seven years old. His name is Moriah. I took care of, of him a lot while I was there for those three months. I spent a lot of time with him. And they adopted also another young uh, girl who is called Natalie, who is 18 years old. And then he also has uh, nurses to help him because he, the, he, this clinic that he has is open 24 hours, seven days a week. So yeah. uh, he cannot do this all the time alone. So he has these uh, nurses who are actually amazing young women who are so talented, so talented. Uh, and where, um, where is the doctor from? So he was born in Zimbabwe. Okay. Uh, originally... His family is originally from Scotland, okay. and his nationality is uh, Vanuatu and Australia. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which is uh, quite a journey. Yeah, and, that, um, that is. That's an understatement, Angel. That is an absolutely, that's an incredible story. Um, and that was, so the, the timeline of events that you just explained to us, it was from, what, October of 2019? 
And when did you finally end up leave, uh, leaving Vanuatu? Uh, so last summer, I could uh, leave Vanuatu thanks to the French embassy who helped me because I couldn't leave. I was stranded on that island and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't leave. It was uh, quite... Uh, <laughs> It, it was quite, uh, yeah, an adventure. And I have to say, I loved it. You know, I, I had the most, I mean, I had the most amazing time. I was learning how to fly a plane. I was ass assisting him, uh, you know, giving birth, uh, delivering babies. Um, I spent a lot of time with the tribes. So the tribes taught me their language. I was learning all about their culture and like going around in the jungle, learning how to cut the right coconuts and make, all the, these local food. And uh, if you see that one video that I've sent you also about this tradition of making music in the ocean, have so you seen cool. this, uh, this, this video that I've sent you of these women who are actually making the ocean sing with their hands. So they are clapping their hands at the surface of the ocean and singing. And this, this is a, a pretty special a tradition that exists only on that one specific island in the world. Gawa is the only island on earth where they do this kind of music. And so I became friends with these ladies and they taught me how to do this music with them. You know, it was an absolute, um, completely crazy, but also quite intense uh, experience. That's a, yeah, that yeah. is amazing. Angel. It's a really cool video. It's like they're drumming with water. Yeah. Exactly. If you, if for anyone who is listening to this right now, if uh, you type uh, "water music Gawa Island Vanuatu," you can find some uh, some videos. And of course, uh, on my platform also, I'll be posting soon about some uh, some videos and uh, and songs that I've recorded with these ladies. Yeah, Angel. Speaking of your platform, please take the opportunity to share all your social media, your website, anywhere anybody can follow along with your trips where people can donate to your to your crowdfunding campaigns share it all please uh well so the my project is called bloom and you can find me on instagram at bloom.stories uh the same on facebook you can find me at bloom.stories um and then if you want to participate to the crowdfunding campaigns that i'm organizing you can find me on on the platform gofundme um, I don't know how exactly you can find me on GoFundMe, but if you type about this, this campaign that I'm doing right now with the rise for Balinese affected by COVID-19, uh, you will find my profile and all the different. We'll put uh, it in the campaigns. show notes. Yeah. Yes. We're, we're going to put the, we're going to put the link to the crowdfund crowdfunding campaign in our show notes. So if you're listening to this podcast, just drop down to the show notes. And if you want to donate, remember $6 will feed a family of four people for an entire week. So uh, mm. please consider doing that. That would be incredible. And Anja, one question I had is if if there are young or old uh, nurses or other physicians that are listening and want to travel, is the doctor in Vanuatu accepting people to come help him? Uh, I don't think so. I don't okay. think so. They have a very, uh, they have a very uh, specific structure, and um, I, 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 I don't think, uh, I don't think they would accept uh, uh, help from the outside world. Let's say. Okay. Mm. Yes, which is uh, which is a shame, but uh, you know they have their own, they operation. they have their own mission and mm -hmm. operation going on, and uh, yes. Okay. All right. 
Well, uh, we when we close out our podcast now, we did not do this when you were on the last time, but we have a rapid fire round where we're going to ask you 10 questions and oh. you just have to answer as quickly as possible. I guess not really as quickly as possible. We don't, we won't, we don't hold you accountable to that, but uh, it's they're just going to be asked at random. We obviously didn't tell you these before. And, um, and uh, let yeah. me know when you're ready. You ready to do it? I'm scared. Okay, let's go. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'll get it started. Sure. So, Angel, what is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel? Uh, coconuts. <laughs> <laughs> what home comfort do you miss the most while traveling? Uh, gratin dauphinois, which is a specialty from France. Oh. I, can you say that one more time? Gratin dauphinois. Yep. Uh, Still don't have it. <laughs> no, <it's>... <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have to look that one up later. Yeah. It sounds yeah, good, though. Yeah, this is something I really <laughs> miss when I'm traveling, for sure. Okay. If you could swim in any liquid, what would it be? Any liquid? Any liquid. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Would it be that tea? You don't get asked this question many times, so make sure you pick the yeah, right liquid. I don't know. Yeah, maybe tea. Tea would tea. be good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tea would be good. <laughs> uh, what travel book? had the biggest influence on your life? Mm. There are so many. I can't really answer this I guess, question. Yeah, it, it, it's a tough one to be put on the spot for. I guess maybe book. This is actually the first time we've asked this question. It is. We, we just added this. Well, there is one book, but I don't think it exists in the States. Uh, it's called, um, in French, it's called L'Atlas des Terres Sauvages, which means... The Atlas of Wild Lands, which is like very remote areas. It's it's a book of uh, it's a book that talks about the most remote areas in the world. I love this book. Ooh, that sounds yeah. that sounds really interesting. That seems very valuable to your searches. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, I can see how you can apply that information. <laughs> All right, say hello in your favorite language. Bon dia, which is in Portuguese. All right. <laughs> if you can travel with anyone in the world, living or dead, who would it be? <gasps> oh, it's hard. It's, it's hard. also, also so a tough one. so many people coming to my mind right now. <laughs> this, is, that, um, this means we're picking good questions, I think. Uh, again, I don't think you would know him, but his name is Frédéric Lopez, who is... Uh, He's a French. Um, he's a French uh, man uh, who uh, goes around the world in remote areas to meet tribes and understand the way they are living and and shining a light on uh, on their their lifestyle. And it's a it's a very uh, beautiful uh, show. And I, I really I really admire this man. And if sounds I could, like I would travel with him. Yeah, it sounds like you <laughs> took inspiration from him. Mm-hmm. If you could pick an actress to play you in a movie, who would you choose? Oh, an actress. Oh, no, no, these are such hard questions. Um, <laughs> an actress. Hmm. No, I, I like to think of who I would pick for you, too. And then, uh, huh. uh, maybe Marion Cotillard. That's exactly who I was thinking. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, yeah, the, it's the French. Yes. <laughs> so, Elliot, you kind of skipped one, but that's okay. Uh, I'm going to go back. What is one item remaining on your bucket list? Oh, I did. 
one what? One I, item remaining on your bucket list. One thing you want to do. What's left for you? Uh, I would love to go to Antarctica. Mm, so yeah. would we. Elliot yeah. is dying to go there. I am. It's a good one. All right. If you were stuck in one city for the rest of your life, which city would you choose? Hmm. I think where I am now, Lisbon. Lisbon. Yeah. yeah. That's true. All right. I'll have to take yeah. your word for it. Still haven't been. No, but uh, I've heard really come. good things. Yeah. And, we have and to meet finally. I know. Absolutely. Post COVID. Yeah. yeah. Post COVID, we have a long, long list of places to travel yeah. to. Yeah. And this is the last question. What is one piece of advice you'd give to yourself of 10 years ago? Mm. <sighs> yeah. I would say, uh, I, I would say like to, to not be scared to uh, chase uh, to chase your dreams and achieve your goal and get rid of this fear. It's stupid. It's just a waste of time. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very wise words. Well, Angel, thank you for coming on the podcast again. I have a feeling that we're going to do this again um, <laughs> because you're going to continue to travel and meet incredible people. And and we we absolutely love these conversations where we get to actually sit down and, and hear about your incredibly unique and and interesting travels thank you for taking the time out of your day to come on today well thank you thank you for listening to all of this and to uh, to share these stories on your platform i'm super grateful for for meeting you and talking with you right now yet another incredible conversation with angel and so we have already supported her efforts and please consider doing the same we're going to link the ways that you can support her through her GoFundMe, um, her website. Check it out. Give it a try. And I mean, if you're moved to help these people, you're going to end up giving this money to Angel, who's right on the ground with them. You know it's going to a good cause. There's no overhead. There's no organization. It's just her. So yeah. please consider it if you're capable of doing that. Yep. Thank you for listening. If you love the show, please think about giving us a rating on whichever podcast platform you listen on. If you want to support us financially, you can do so through Patreon for as little as a dollar a month up to $10 a month. And there are some perks associated with those. And we we really appreciate your listenership, sharing us with your friends, with your family. And stay tuned next week. Stay safe and stay healthy.